Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and together with my friend of more than 20 years and seven kids between us, Christy Purifoy, we are inviting you into sweet space with us this summer as we revisit some conversations we're still thinking about years after we had them. We're calling this our Easy Listening Summer Series, and our hope is that each hand-selected episode resonates with a part of your own soul, that we want to make sure you're slowing your body down enough this summer to allow to catch up. I'm recording this from my home office that used to be a shed that used to be filled with rundown tools and broken floorboards and walls covered in hammers and pliers and screwdrivers. And now, I'm happy to say, has insulation and windows and floor to ceiling giant blue bookcases filled with all my best friends and memories. Books have always operated like Ebenezer Stones in my life and their pages are a way to time travel back to some specific scene, whether good or hard or beautiful, from my teens or 20s or 30s or my 40s. Today we share with you the books that made us, and we hope our stories shake awake some of your own memories of books that had a hand in making you too. Get comfy, friends. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I've been wondering this week, I don't know how many of our listeners know that we send out an email to accompany each episode and that the email has some fun behind the scenes I know, just goodies. This, this morning we were shooting some video to share about what's happening behind the scenes. It really is the place where we're not just letting you know there's a new episode. We really are sharing with our friends. So as if we were calling you up or sending a text out to a group to say, hey, 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 mm-hmm. we've got some fun things coming down the pipeline. So mm-hmm. you're going to find out first about episodes that are live, but you're also going to see photos, sometimes videos, links, new projects, surprises. That's right. You how see can- them first. How can our listeners get in on this? <laughs> what do they Naturally, do? Naturally, we'll make it easy for you. There will be a link below in the show notes. Okay. You can just click on that or you can go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com and you will find the invitation to join our community and get all the behind the scenes news. All right, Lisa Joe, I'm really excited for today's conversation because I have spring fever. It's here. <laughs> it's May. Yay. No, it's so crazy. Oh, the past few weeks, I've been enjoying the daffodils at Maplehurst. It is, okay, I say this about a few times a year, but I I think it's my favorite favorite time. (laughs) It's always Christy's favorite here. (laughs) And I was thinking this week about why I love it so much. And I think it's because it takes me back to my childhood, Mm. but not in the way you might think. So I did not grow up, there were no daffodils. In my childhood. In Texas. <laughs> no. <laughs> there were no daffodils. Really? Were, no, but that's just no. pause there for a moment. Texas doesn't have daffodils? Why? No, because it doesn't get cold enough or long enough in the winter. So They if, actually need the cold? They need the cold. So do tulips. This, did not, wait, you're yeah. going to need to pause and let's have a little diversion. <laughs> a little this horticultural is very, yes, lesson here. Much like your book, let's weave in a little horticultural tip here or there. I did not know that. Why? Right. Well, bulbs like that need a certain amount of cold. There's some scientific word for it, and I forget what okay. that word is. We but wouldn't know what it means anyway. No, no, but there's a word for it. Uh, they need a certain amount of cold, and that does something to the bulb so that in the spring, they can 
jumpstart with the warm weather really into flowers yeah so let me just for example i i have a bulb catalog brinton becky of course you do i love bulb catalog. Beckys. you guys i don't even know such things as bulb catalogs <laughs> existed until my friendship with chrissy when i come in and on her coffee table are like stacks of books for ordering like catalogs for ordering yes. seeds or bulbs <laughs> last time we were here my husband got into it with her when we were here when it was still cold so in the season when you're supposed to order bulbs, right? Peter and Christy were going through magazines like feverishly the way some people read entertainment (laughs) magazines and he, she sent him home with all these bags and bags of bulb books. (laughs) So great. That makes me think maybe that's what one thing we can put in this week's um, email. Oh yes. I can can just list all of my favorite seed and plant catalogs. And we'll add them to the Out of the Ordinary podcast store. We have a little store on Amazon and we'll be sure in this week's email to provide a gardening link for the gardening section on our store on Amazon and you too can live <laughs> live out your dream of buying all the bulb books. <laughs> okay. So, Brenda Becky's catalog, you can buy plain old bulbs, which is what I buy here because I live in Pennsylvania and they come in the fall and you bury them in the soil or in pots of, of dirt. Wait, they don't come back. So do daffodil bulbs not come back or they do? Oh, they do. do but oh. I, I add more every year. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Yes. Okay, okay. Every year I add more. There's never too many bulbs. But for Southern gardeners, they sell pre-cooled bulbs. No, they don't. Yes, they That's do. That's a thing. No, oh my is, goodness. Which means that they have already had some chilling, I, I guess, in big freezers. I'm not sure. <laughs> so that you can then plant them in Texas and My get goodness. some daffodils. Now, they, they may not come back. That's the only problem. But they will bloom then because now they they've bloom. been chilled exactly. and now they're in the warmth of Texas exactly. and they think it's spring in Pennsylvania right. when they pop up. Right. So only I, to be scorched. Exactly. Texas <laughs> exactly. So I, you know, I grew up with lots of other beautiful plants and growing things because my father, who I write a lot about in my book, Placemaker, he inspired me with his uh, green thumb, but not tulips and not daffodils. But so where did I encounter daffodils? Why do I say that lately I have been returning to this, to this childhood experiences? I encountered daffodils um, in books. And especially in one book in particular. And I've been thinking about that book that I read and loved and read over and over when I was a girl and uh, what it says about my life today. And that book, I wonder if you've read it, if you loved it. I'm curious too. The Secret Garden? Yes. Okay. Okay, but this is, we're going to have a different take on it. So you enjoyed that book. I love Okay, okay. That tell book. me, tell me. I Let's love walk that down book. memory lane with daffodils and the secret garden. You know, I think partially maybe I loved it because there was a bit of a mystery. Yes. And I still definitely. love mysteries. Yes. I loved mysteries as a kid. I love Nancy Drew. And today I love Louise Penny and Agatha Christie. Um, but more than that, I loved the descriptions of English springtime mm. and, and the way that that bare soil was waking up. Right. And especially, you know, in northern springtime flowers right. like daffodils which which weren't in my experience and although we had some experience of winter where i grew up in texas it wasn't like a south florida climate or something but it wasn't the same sort of winter barrenness that you know where you just went from sort of dramatic death to life the way it was described in the secret <laughs> yeah. garden and something about that just captivated me to the extent that because my father was a gardener and we did have a yard where he he planted he planted flowers and vegetables 
I, like Mary, what's her name, Mary? Well, you need to give a little, we need to pause and give a little caption of what the book is about for anybody who hasn't well, read it. Well, let me tell you, like Mary in the book, she asks, this is sort of the, the cusp of the story, she asks for a bit of earth. And I wanted to ask my father for a bit of earth. So here's the backstory for Mary. She is a, a little English girl, but she had been raised in India, a uh, very hot, humid place. And I, I'm trying to think back. I suppose I identified with those descriptions of her mm. early childhood in the sticky weather, because that's what um, I experienced in the summers in Texas. Um, but she's orphaned, as happens so often in, in childhood. Yes. Children, classic children's literature. <laughs> I mean, it happens today. Look at the Frozen movie, Elsa and Honor, orphaned. As soon as parents say goodbye to take a trip, you just know, no, well, that's not- the end of their <laughs> lives. They are never coming back. So poor, poor Mary is orphaned and sent back to England to live with, I think it's a uncle or a great uncle, someone she doesn't know, has never met, and it's all very mysterious, and it's a big old echoey house, and there are mysterious cries in the night, etc., etc. <laughs> there are new friends to be made. <laughs> and of course, uh, with the winter turning into spring, it's an awakening for Mary um, into new life, the way that the, the garden and, and the soil is waking up. So she asks, as this process of sort of waking up and coming back to life happens for her, she asks for a bit of earth, meaning she wants a little spot in the garden to grow some things for herself. And so I thought, I will ask my father for a bit of earth. I don't know if I even got that far, Lisa Joe. I, in my memory, I went outside. I remembered how hot and sticky it was. I was immediately (laughs) swarmed by a thousand mosquitoes. And I thought, yeah, never mind. I, I clearly am not cut out for this. <laughs> and there died my gardening dreams. <laughs> so I just kept reading the book. I kept mm. reading the book over and over and found other books that, you know, talked about um, seasons and growing things. I loved Farmer Boy, Laura Ingalls Wilder's book, Farmer Boy, about her husband's childhood in far northern New York and the the cycle of the seasons on their farm. And um, so I just... I went back to my books because that, you know, there were no mosquitoes biting me in the books. I didn't sweat buckets of, (laughs) you know, sticky sweat reading those books. And I think I thought at the time, this thing I love, this thing I'm drawn for, I'm not cut out for it. I'll never have this. It's not for me. Mm. And I think there was a bit of sadness that um, it wasn't a part of my actual ordinary day-to-day life. Mm. That as much as I could peer out the window at the beautiful flowers my father was growing, it, it the outdoors in Texas, our backyard, didn't always feel like a space that would welcome me as a gardener um, because of those darn mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> mosquitoes just love me. They are the worst. So this spring, being out in my own yard where every year I'm, I'm adding more daffodils and you know just walking amongst those gorgeous flowers, I thought about that book and I thought about that longing that it had stirred up and that desire. And it's not as if I have pursued a life that would look like the secret garden. It's not <laughs> as if that book became my life plan. <laughs> not at all. Right. Not at all. I, 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 If I thought about it, it was, oh, I love that book. Let me read it with my kids. And I remember reading it with my oldest when she was about nine. But that's all. But somehow this year I thought, oh my goodness, it's almost as if that book made, stirred up something in me that was a kind of promise or something that God has delighted in fulfilling that I didn't even think was 
important enough to pray about or Mm -hmm. ask for or pursue. It was just something that I couldn't have, I couldn't do, so set it aside. And yet here, you know, in my 40s, my very ordinary life includes things like gorgeous daffodils and flower gardens. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and suddenly that, that realization this spring just astonished me and filled me with gratitude. I feel so grateful um, that the thing I most wanted but didn't even really ask for mm-hmm. has actually been given to me. Mm-hmm. And okay, maybe I don't live in the green countryside of, of England, but actually, this little corner of Pennsylvania. It looks a lot like England, it has. I think. And it the has rolling even, hills in and its the big history. Trees. It has been called Little England. Yeah. Um, it is actually <laughs> uh, an, an echo of that landscape that so captivated me in that book. So I just feel so much gratitude this spring thinking about that and thinking about what that book has meant to me. I, I might pick it up again. I think it might be time for. For a reread. Well, we'll add it definitely in our little podcast store on Amazon. We have all the books that we mention here on the podcast. We are always very mindful to make them easily accessible and findable for you guys. Because I know the worst is when you hear someone mention a book and then you think, ah, I wasn't driving. I didn't write it down. So if you click through the link here in the show notes, you'll be able to find it. But Chrissy, so here is so, so interesting to me. I feel like you could do an entire personality study on people based on what their takeaway from books are. Ah. So I've read that book too uh-huh. in my childhood. Of course, I have. My mom was Now I'm waiting in- for you to tell me you hated it. No, but it's... So it's so interesting what resonated with me. Mm -hmm. So what resonated with you was the garden. Uh That was your main takeaway. Uh To me, that was a footnote in that story. Oh, (laughs) really? Even though it's called The Secret Garden. (laughs) To me, that's a story about relationship. Uh, I'm a two. I'm an Enneagram uh, two. Christy's a four. I am driven by the dynamics between people. So one of the reasons I disliked that book was because I dislike the the main boy character so much. So he is this, and there's always this sort of character in English children's books who somehow mysteriously has some illness and nobody knows how to cure it. And they're very awful. And they throw silverware and plates at the walls and complain and Mm -hmm. say how much they're dying and they're (laughs) crippled. And it's very dramatic. And and Mary was kind of a brat herself in the beginning. In the storyline, she was very selfish and self-centered and had a terrible temper and was very angry. And so these two awful children (laughs) are the, the primary, you know, protagonists yes. in this story and I did not like them which you is why I did not like their the friends story. yes <laughs> and I think that um so when I think about that book I hardly at all think about the garden yeah I remember the the yelling and the fighting mm. I remember how they were really mean to one another at first and then at the end of course there's this redemptive mm-hmm. moment and the garden plays a big role yeah. in that yeah. but for me it wasn't enough I didn't want to slog through 90 percent right. of the book where relationally there's this high level of really unpleasant people. Yeah. And so that is how I think of that book. That I would never look at your beautiful house where I find peace and comfort and welcome and safety and your, you know, avenue of daffodils because you guys, all the hundreds of bulbs she's planted <laughs> really pay off this time of year. But I would never look at that and think, oh, it's just like the secret garden. Mm-hmm. I would think, oh my gosh, I'm so glad this is Maplehurst and <laughs> not, not the, the secret, secret garden. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that interesting? That is. And it's never even occurred to me that somebody else would like that book. I Anytime I see it, I actually get like anxiety and I think, oh, that why did they write these horrible books for children? Mm. Why? (laughs) So that is so interesting. You've given me a very new lens to think about that story and um, 
and how you took away from it this longing for a place of beauty to grow things. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, it was just a reminder of like, those are the kind of people I want to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want my children to grow up to be like that. <laughs> but we are, we're so informed by the stories of our childhood. So it's interesting to me. I, I mean, honestly, you guys, Christy and I don't plan these conversations. We didn't talk ahead of time. She just said, hey, let's have a conversation about books that shaped us. And I had no idea how it play out. And I just assumed what she would share, of course, would be through a lens the way I see the world. But no, of course not. And so the books she's drawn to, and I'm looking at her bookshelf right now in front of me, there's a book called Cut Flowers. There's a book yeah. called... <laughs> That's um, a great book. The by Songs the way. of Trees, like all of her reading material. That's another in great this book. Genre. <laughs> oh, and there's also Roots and Sky, her own book on the shelf. <laughs> For me, I, of course, as a highly relational too, have always been drawn to stories about the people, the experiences the mm. people are having. For me, a book is a vehicle for me to walk into the lives of other people mm. to understand their their courage usually i love books where it's like against all odds you know mm. they overcome i love books where the hero is the unassuming person the person you don't think of as a hero who through completely ordinary courage rises up to do something world changing so you can imagine for those reasons <laughs> one of the books that defined not just my childhood but my childhood my young adulthood and my adult now my children's lives. Oh, I'm so curious to is, hear. It might be a letdown because it's so obvious, but it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, okay. I love those stories so much. I think I read them like a Bible. Yeah. I read them so many times over and over and over again because I loved the idea that there were these unassuming characters mm. who weren't trying to change the world. That wasn't their intention. Mm. They thought they were going to just pass off this burden to somebody greater mm. and mightier who would rescue the world. You know, their job was just to be an intermediary, uh, essentially a messenger service. You know, Frodo is going to come with this ring and he's going to take it to Rivendell and then the great and mighty elves will know what to do with it. Mm. It's really above his pay grade. And I just think all of life feels a bit that way. You know, we think that there are movie stars or politicians, movers and shakers who are going to shape the world and mm. change the world. And we're just going to make the peanut butter sandwiches, you know. <laughs> But as I have now lived long enough to know, those are the heroes. Those are the heroes. And at the time I was reading this book, my mom introduced me to it. She's so passionate about books. Her bookshelf is still one of my most sacred places. It's like church to me. I would approach that bookshelf and we'd talk about what I was going to read next. And she would say things like, oh, you're not ready. Like, you're not ready for that one yet. Mm. Or So I read those original Lord of the Rings. You know, they're not first editions, but they are printed, you know, back in the 60s. Mm. Like they're covers you don't... You would never see anymore that the paper is yellowed. And I read those and she had read them and we talked about them. And then at the, that was a time in my life where my mom, the most ordinary person in a teen girl's life, contracted cancer and then was in the hospital. And I understood for the first time how heroic it is to fight that kind of battle where mm. there's nobody seeing, there's nobody writing about it. There's mm. no beautiful score that plays yeah. while you get your chemo treatment. That most ordinary of ordinaries is so courageous. And it has it really shaped me. It defined who I am. And I remember when Peter and I started dating, his background isn't coming out of a family that is fluent in all like what I think of as the great literature <laughs> geniuses. You know, he could tell you all about sports and he could mm. quote statistics to do with baseball legends. And but here I came out of this literary background. And when we met in college, and I discovered he had never read Lord of the Rings. 
I, without hyperbole, told him I could not date somebody who had not read that book. Like, I was dead serious because I, I me, get that. I do. Right? Like, it's a shared language. Mm-hmm. You don't speak my... What? Like, mm-hmm. it's not just a love language. For me, it was a soul language. It mm-hmm. was a sense of calling and purpose. And I, you know, we met in Washington, D.C. Um, we both stayed on during the summer after our spring semester. So, this season of May, I always think of Peter, you know, is when mm-hmm. we were really starting to have that more than a friend sparkle in our <laughs> eye toward one another. And um, and then we were all summer, we worked as interns in the city. And then that fall, I returned to campus uh, for my junior year of college. And he went overseas for a semester. And he traveled through uh, Poland and Germany and England. And he took with him Lord of the Rings oh, bless him. <laughs> to read it all so that he could tell me that he had. And he says he told the, his friends he was traveling with my girlfriend says she can't be oh, serious about me until I've read I these read- books. <laughs> And you know what was so fun? He read them. Of course he did. And then what was so special, though, is when the movies were made, mm-hmm. he could appreciate my fervent, mm-hmm. psychotic fan mm-hmm. excitement as I tracked, you know, all the internet sites talking about it. And then he was with me when we went to the midnight mm-hmm. screening of the first one and we could dissect it. And not only did we see each of the movies when they came out, then we bought, of course, the extended DVD with like 14 hours yep. <laughs> for each film of behind the scenes. And then when we lived in Ukraine, and actually, you guys, if you haven't listened, go back and listen to our last episode that talks quite a bit about our experience in in Ukraine and why we ended up being there for so long. But when we we lived there. There were no streaming online TV services. There's no Hulu. There's no Netflix. There's no streaming ABC or CBS. It was a dark ages, people. <laughs> like we had dial up internet, Christy. Ouch. Dial up. You would buy like essentially a phone card and scratch off the code <laughs> and then type it into your computer. And then wow. you'd hear that <laughs> as it connected. And um, there's nowhere to watch TV online. There was no cable television in Kiev where we were but we bought a dvd player and we had those lord of the rings videos and we literally watched our way from beginning Mm. to end all of the movies and all of the behind the scenes and it was a shared story a shared experience but really a shared language yeah and at the time watching it especially when you're living in a foreign country where a lot of the culture the language is foreign to you Mm. and 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 doing the ordinary things requires a degree of courage, you know, mm. it requires a degree of adventure. Yeah, There's something that's about true. watching those stories that makes you think, okay, I got I, I, I can do it too. Oh, oh I love <laughs> so, that. Yeah. And then I'll I'll circle back, you know, full circle. My children now are um 13, 11, and 8. And this past Advent season, a lot of and if you can go back and listen to it, Christy and I actually talked quite in detail about our different Advent traditions, but my family is not a very good sit around the table and read a book family. They're just loud and distractible and irritable. <laughs> but we love movies. We love us some movies at our house. And so for Advent this past year, we watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's, you know, they're so long. And then there's, of course, life and sports. And so it's not like you can just sit down and watch eight hours yeah. of movies. You have to watch them in bits. <laughs> right. So really, it was the whole Advent season. We'd watch a little bit every night here and there. Um, but it was such an amazing story of what it means to send someone 
someone, someone who's willing to come, Mm. the most unassuming, the least expected, Mm. the least looked for Mm. in the most unexpected place. That story of courage um, to relive it through my children's eyes was really powerful, especially because they like didn't understand how to work a DVD. Like they thought it was so funny. <laughs> oh, no. I know everything they watch is streaming, and so like I'm like, here's the DVD, and then like the menu would come up, and they were so confused by what it. Is this they were mom? like, "What is it? What's happening? Why like, how do you make start? it play? Why? Why won't it go?" <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yeah, that book. Um, of, I mean, and I like you have many that define my mm-hmm. childhood, but I think that's the one, the narrative that really has become bigger than the book for me. Mm-hmm. All right, we are interrupting our own conversation about all of our favorite childhood books to come and share with you about a new book that is for moms. We are, after all, here in the season of Mother's Day. And as we know, sure, we celebrate Mother's Day one day a year. But to be honest, Mother's Day is a 365 day a year job, which is why we love to be able to share with you guys this new book by Kristen Funston. It's called More for Mom. But actually, Lisa Joe, I know our listeners can't see the cover, so I just want to describe it for a second. It doesn't say that exactly. It says more from mom and we know what that feels like everyone wants something more from us but i love what Kristen's done here the from is crossed out and over it says for more for mom now that sounds good doesn't if it <laughs> are any moms like us that wish there was one or two or a hundred things they could cross off the list of things that are demanded expected believed shouted from them This is the book for you because Kristen wants to remind us as moms to stop believing the lie that more is always needed from us and to start living the truth that more is available for me. That's right. The subtitle says living your whole and holy life. And the message of this book is that we have already been given this kind of wholeness in our daily, ordinary lives. The trick is to see it and to receive it, to know that it's already been given to us by the God who made us and loves us. There isn't more for us to do. So if there is a mom in your life, or if you are that mom who needs this message that more isn't needed from you, more is there for you to receive, go ahead, click through the link in our show notes and pick up as a gift to yourself, Kristen's new book, More for Mom. That's More for Mom by Kristen Funston from Abington Press. similar relational story because as you were sharing, I was remembering that when I met uh, Jonathan, who's now my husband, then and now he's not a big reader. He can read. And, and it's the thing, Pete. Is, yeah. well, I think maybe John and Pete have in common that they're not really fiction readers. Yes, like yeah. Pete will read a ton of nonfiction, yeah. but it's to get him to read fiction is yeah. definitely yeah. not in his wheelhouse. Yeah, John's not a big reader, and so he actually had really enjoyed The Hobbit as a boy. That was one of his favorite books. But he had never read um, C.S. Lewis's Narnia series. And that book, the way you describe The Lord of the Rings, for me was that kind of soul language, Mm. like so many of just how I I thought about uh, my own faith and, and the lens through which I viewed the world. It was, you know really through those stories yeah. i had those are books i had read over and over as a kid and meant so much to me and when i found out that he hadn't read that i had a similar reaction to you wow 
I don't know if I can be. How can you be a Christian? (laughs) You haven't read this. Yeah. What? You won't understand. I remember thinking, you won't understand me. You won't. (laughs) You you won't get me because that so much of my interior world is populated with fawns and dryads. (laughs) So, and I feel like it's the understanding of time. Like how I think about time is defined by those Mm -hmm. books. You know, like Earth time versus like heaven's time frame and. Um, how Narnia helps me make sense of that. Yeah. I think also I'm looking back and realizing, I think for me in a, in a way it was, I think I was setting him a test, which mm. may have been unfair to do, but I'll just, spoiler alert, he passed with flying colors. <laughs> I think though, you know, when you're you're young and you're in a relationship with someone, you're, you're discerning, right? Mm-hmm. You're always discerning. Mm-hmm. Um, is this is this right? Does this right. relationship have a future? Do we keep moving forward? John and I were very young, right. um, which, you know, just, I think, adds to it. You're, you're, you're discerning everything in your mm-hmm. life. You're still figuring yourself out. And now you're, you're um, trying to figure out, um, you know, do, are, are the two of us going to join hands right. and, and do life together? And so you're discerning. And I think, I, I think in my heart, I was setting him a kind of test. How will he respond to these stories? Mm. He's never read them. Will he disdain them? Will he not get them? And right. and if if that's the case, then maybe that's some sort of clue that we're incompatible in some way. Right. I don't know. I don't know that I was consciously no, thinking that. No, because I think but, I did the same unconscious yeah. thought process about Peter. Yeah. Like, it's defined so much of who I am. Yeah. How can you not be a reader? Like, how yeah. can you not have read these books? Yeah. And if you can't appreciate these books, does that mean you can't fully appreciate me? Right. And I don't think the obvious answer is yes. Right. But it was a question I was asking. And so while we were dating, um, I must have made the suggestion, but I don't remember it. But he obviously took me up on it. And we began reading the Narnia books aloud. Oh, my um, goodness. I guess really? I mostly read them to him. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was really sweet. I yeah, it's funny, you know, my it was a long time ago, so my memories are in bits and pieces, but we read them aloud and he loved them. He enjoyed them. He responded to them. We had great conversations and I felt like, oh, because now you have these stories in you too, we can talk into maybe my deeper places mm-hmm. or deeper thoughts right. and feelings. It's a shorthand because, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, we have that shared um, sort of storytelling experience mm-hmm. and so he passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. And I guess what I love about both of our husbands now is that they have really embraced who you and I are yeah. and this language that we have. Yeah. And, you know, I know John listens to every podcast yeah. as soon as it's live in the morning. <laughs> I'll come I down in the morning for breakfast <laughs> and I hear our voices going. <laughs> it's because he's listening there in the kitchen. Oh, that's so great. And I know, you know, Peter is so interested in, um, you know, he lets me work out a lot of just the verbal kinks as I'm trying to write a book and I'm trying to make sense of how I'm trying to say something. And he's just so good at understanding my story and sometimes helping me see it, you know, in a new way in order to express it differently as I'm trying to write. So it's so interesting that these two men of ours who are not themselves necessarily, you know, voracious readers Mm -hmm. in the same way or in the same genres that you and I are, Mm -hmm. they did, they did take Mm -hmm. on that um, shorthand, that language Mm -hmm. that we can share. And it's so interesting to trace back from that. I mean, in essence, we were right, like that was necessary. Mm -hmm. When you look at the work that we do now, um, to have partners who champion love and are just really in it with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, interestingly enough, relationally and, 
you know, look at me, my, the books I've written have been really relationship driven and the books you've written have been about place and gardens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wildest thing. Is, I feel like sometimes I learn so much from these conversations. I, I am a verbal processor, big surprise. Um, but they're just things that are, I guess, lingering under the surface of our stories that we don't stop to pay attention to. But when you do and you tease them out, you can say to yourself, oh, oh, my goodness, I made a discovery today Mm -hmm. about who I am, about my friend, who my friend is. And Mm -hmm. I wonder for those of you listening today, um, what we love about this podcast is it really is a conversation, not just between Christy and I, but here in the community at large, we would love to hear what books Mm -hmm. have informed and shaped you. And maybe if we get a bunch, we'll you know add them to the podcast store um, so people can find them all in one place. Oh, good idea. And curate a list. Yeah. So why don't you, um, if you've got that book handy, take a picture of it, you uh-huh. know, and post it to Instagram. That's really where Christy and I hang out the most. We try to pop into Facebook and Twitter, but we confess we are not good at it. So <laughs> Instagram is the best place to find us. I am at Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm at Christy Purifoy, Christy with an I-E. Christy with an I-E. And you can also use the hashtag out of the ordinary podcast because that way other readers, I always say readers, but listeners, other listeners can find uh, what you're sharing too. But I just love to know. And I'm, when it comes to books, I'm very snoopy. I want to snoop people's bookshelves. Oh, I do too. That's the best. (laughs) I love it. So um, they call those, you can take a picture of your bookshelves. I think they tag it shelfie. Like, oh, shelfie. So feel free to take a shelfie. Take a selfie (laughs) and tag us because we would love this week to just know what are the stories that have informed you Mm. as as adults that started in your childhood. And I wonder, Christy, do you want to do a quick a quick fire with me? We haven't prepared this, but Mm -hmm. let's do a quick fire of just other books that you would mention that were really significant in your childhood Mm -hmm. or other authors. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think I mentioned Laura Ingalls Wilder. So her, but the whole set. Farmer Boy, but the whole set, which I, am I remembering that you have not read those books? I have not. I'm like, I was hoping that would not come up. <laughs> That's um, all right. That's all right. I think it's because they're tied to the TV show. Uh, which I not have never. Not those ones, but like never, the others. And I, anytime seen. that comes on, I just think that yeah. is so weird. I cannot relate to it. And I'm, I appreciate that there's such a love for those stories, yeah. but it, let me just tell you, just feels I, very I to never me. watch the television show because they're not like the books. Oh, okay. so we may hear from folks who love the books and the show. I know that right. the show has big, big fans, but for me, it was just the books, not okay. the show. Well, yeah. I'll have to try that. For me, one of my really defining authors was Roald Dahl. Ah. He's um, fantastic, Mr. Fox, I must have read it a hundred times. Really? See, once again, an ordinary character forced yeah. into extraordinary circumstances, shows courage, saves his family and the whole community. Um, George's Marvelous Medicine, I loved for the uh-huh. same reasons. The the underdog, right, who rises up. Um, the Magic Finger is his mm. as well for that reason. The BFG I liked, but not as much as those others, mm. I think. I, I really loved Roald Dahl, though. I read mm. him. I read him a lot. And as an adult, I've read his... <laughs> His very weird and creepy, um, scary stories that he oh, has recommended that to adult me. fiction. Yes, it is very weird. It is worth reading because yeah. he has the most macabre view of the world. Like basically, just imagine everything he does in children's universes yes. but multiplied into an adult world. Yeah, that's very be intense. Yeah, Lisa Joe, did you read a- another set of books? I adored the Borrowers. Oh yes, yes, oh. I read all of those. Of course, I did. Of course, yeah. you were probably coming at the relationships, and I was totally <laughs> enamored with the teeny tiny house that, details. I gotta say. I really, really liked as well. Oh, I, I loved that as well. Um, I'm, I've got my uh, my phone in front of me as I pull up other 
other books that I love. What, what about, about Nancy you? Drew? Were you a Nancy Drew reader? Um, you know what I liked more? Uh, there was one, it, were they called The Secret Seven? I think Ooh. it was like The Secret Seven and um, Hardy Boys mm-hmm. I liked. I think I liked those more than Nancy Drew. I, I read... Um, Swallows and Amazon, yes, Amazons. I love, love those one. two uh, of kids and their their adventures. Um, yeah, I loved. I think about picture books that have informed me even as an adult. And mm. I know we've talked about this before, but Tasha Tudor's mm-hmm. A Time to Keep. Mm-hmm. Oh, so meaningful. I love The Lonely Doll. There was a series of photographic picture oh, books. Interesting. And she's a doll, and she lives with a family of teddy bears, <laughs> and they have adventures. But it's they're photographs of a real doll and real teddy bears in these oh. different sort of elaborate. Uh, situations and I, I was scarred it. by doll books that <laughs> Rumor Godin. Have you read her? Oh, I love Rumor oh, Godin. I've read all of them and I'm t- to this oh. day creeped out. I every time I her see Zoe's doll dolls, books. I have to be like, they're not real. They right, don't right. have thoughts. They're not Miss Plum. Oh. They're not Miss Peach. I her doll books are my oh, favorite. I know, but they they really scarred me as an adult. <laughs> they're intense. Yeah, I feel that I cannot like make eye contact with Zoe's dolls if they look like they're in an uncomfortable mm-hmm. position because mm-hmm. I feel like these dolls are mm-hmm. judging me because of those books. I actually read, I think it's The Dollhouse by Rumor Godden with my children. And <laughs> yeah, my, I've read all my of three them. were older. And at first, and, and two boys, so, you know, with my two boys. And at first they sneered. They said, Mom, why are you reading this book about a dollhouse <laughs> to us? We're too old for that. We don't care about that. And I said, oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. This book is not really about dolls. <laughs> Just you wait. This is rumor garden. And sure enough, they oh, loved it. That's so funny. <laughs> because it does have that kind of kind of intense edge. Oh, it's very intense. Yeah. The first uh sort of novel that I remember reading as mm-hmm. a child. So probably even before Lord of the Rings. So this was I remember it so vividly, the very first like non-picture book, sort of a grown-up book my mom gave me. I must have been maybe 13, mm-hmm. I feel like. And I mean, I have it on my bookshelf still. I go back to it. I'm a rereader. Mm-hmm. Are you a rereader? Not so much. I I, I wish I, I were, but I'm not. And I, I see I think it might be because to me, books are like people uh, that I have a friendship with and yeah. I go and revisit, revisit them. them. <laughs> yes. So the first book that really shaped me and when it came to a love of fiction is called Mara, Daughter of the Nile. Have you read that? Oh, no. It's by Eloise Jarvis McGraw. Oh, ah. it's so phenomenal. She's such a great writer. And it's set in Egypt mm. um, during the reign of, and so it's historically accurate, during the reign of the pharaoh who had, um, so this female pharaoh who had put her brother in captivity and she had assumed the throne. And so it's about this power struggle in the Egyptian court where the brother is trying to retake the throne and he is aided by his, you know, best lifelong friend. And I always sort of think of it as a David and Jonathan type mm. thing. And his lifelong friend is a, a very high-ranking noble in the court, Lord Sheftu. And he's beloved and trusted by the queen, but he is he is working on this rebellion the whole time. And then it becomes aided unwittingly by the slave girl ah. called Mara. And she becomes she starts out as a pawn, but ends up becoming like a key linchpin in the entire plot to overthrow the Egyptian government. And it's romantic and there's intrigue and the courts and there's history and pharaohs. Oh, and it sounds so good. I've never heard I of it. I Lily would love it. I'd like it's to pass amazing. it on to my kids. It's amazing. Yes. Oh, how fun. I'm Such so glad book. we had this conversation. Yes, it's very romantic and wonderful. And um, I will say, you know, for our younger readers, there's definitely, there's a scene in the end where, you know, 
know, a spy gets captured and there is some using of a whip <laughs> to try to get the spy mm. to crack. But there's also then a rescue and the spy mm. is fine. And it, <laughs> But I just mentioned that at the mm. end for tender readers. But at the age of 13, I was fine with it. It's a very small scene and also very dramatic because mm. the rescue is so wonderful. And then the heroism of the spy who's protected the king. And mm. um, But that was my very first experience of reading fiction where it wasn't sort of a higher grade children's book where right. there's just a few pictures. Like it was pure fiction. It was just print. But I remember lying on the sofa in our living room for a whole day and a half and just reading it. And it's the first time I remember being truly sucked into a book mm. more than a movie, more than anything else where I just had to know what happened. Yeah. And those characters loomed so large in my mind that I, and I have that original copy my mom gave me. Aww. So it's like, what, 25 years later and I reread it often. Mm. I go back to it often. I just love it so much. Mm. Oh, it sounds wonderful. It reminds me of my love for probably about that same age a friend of my parents, so an older woman, gave me her copy of The Bronze Bow. I don't know if you've oh, read I that. I feel like I've heard of it, but I have not read yeah, it. Yeah, so historical fiction about a boy um, during the time when Jesus was, you know, doing his ministry, going around teaching. And so Jesus is sort of in the background. And the oh, story really centers on, on this boy. And he has a few encounters with Jesus, but that's not really the focus right. of the story. And um, I think, yeah, my experience was the same, that this was more serious and more grown up, and um, but so exciting. So I've good. always enjoyed fiction that where Jesus isn't the central character. Mm -hmm. It's the experience of people who lived during yeah. his day. Yeah. I really was moved by, and I read also as a child, the books, um, The Robe, and the big fishermen that oh, are also about either. one of them's about Peter and one of them is about the centurion hmm. who had gambled for Jesus's robe at the foot of the cross and his life, how it's impacted. And he's the one who looks up at Jesus and says, oh my goodness, he must have been the son of God. Hmm. It's about his, I mean, most of the book is his life before that moment, but then it's also his life after that moment and what would have happened maybe to that person's story. So I've loved those as well. Hmm. Ooh, you guys, a bounty we, of books. Yeah, we put together. They're a not bad Bounty list of books. And I'm well, excited to add to it. And we can't wait to see what you guys share with us. So go ahead, get your shelfie game on <laughs> and let us see what you're reading. <laughs>